Over the last few Sundays, we have been steadily working our way through Hebrews chapter 11. And today we're coming to Hebrews chapter 11 at verse 11 and reading through to verse 13. And the author of the book of Hebrews, as many of you know, has focused in on a number of well-known biblical characters. And today he's continuing to focus on Abraham, but today his focus has changed a little because he focuses not only on Abraham, but also on Sarah. Hebrews 11, verse 11. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. And all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. Over these last few weeks and Sunday mornings, we'll be describing this new series of studies as the Portrait Gallery of Faith. And if you're with us for the first time today, or watching on our live stream broadcast for the first time, this chapter is a little like going to the National Portrait Gallery in Washington, D.C., and seeing a whole number of individuals who have made a difference in our nation's history, impacted us as a culture. And as you look at these distinctive figures, you begin to learn about their background, what they did for a living, the impact they had. And here in Hebrews 11, we're doing exactly that when it comes to faith. And over these last few Sundays together, and you're going to see it again today, that we encounter real people facing the challenges of real and everyday life, and people who not only face those challenges, but grow as a result. And they grow in stages that we can identify with, and we're about to see it, as I said again this morning. And so as we come to the story of Abraham, it is worth remembering, this is our third Sunday in Abraham. We'll have one more Sunday with him next, uh, next Sunday morning, and then we'll move on further in the chapter. It is worth remembering that over these last few weeks, two principles have emerged. And they have emerged in this sense that people continue to say to me during the week, Richard, I enjoyed last Sunday, and I really appreciate what you're doing with Hebrews, but can you remind me, please, of the two points you made again and again? And so I want to make them again this morning, because they will, in fact, overshadow everything we're about to study. And the first point was this. The people in Hebrews chapter 11, it's worth remembering, it was not that they had extraordinary faith, but rather faith in an extraordinary God. And again and again and again, we discover that in Hebrews. In fact, I should have said, Hebrews 11, I should have said to you this morning, our study this morning is not only about Abraham, but it's also about Sarah, but even more importantly, it's about God. 
And that's where we're going this morning. The second principle was this. God is not asking you to figure it all out. In other words, the challenges and changing circumstances of our lives. But rather, He is asking you to trust that He already has. And those two principles run throughout this entire chapter. And this morning, I'm going to try and do something I'm not quite sure I've tried before, and that is to explore the verses we read from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 through 13. But I also want to take you way back in time, in fact, millennia, to the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 18. Because Hebrews talks of Abraham and Sarah unable to have children and... It is the main feature of Genesis chapter 18. And the reason I'm highlighting that is this, that as you lead up to Genesis chapter 18, you're told again, Abraham and Sarah are unable to have children. Abraham and Sarah are unable to have children. They are past the age that we would normally associate with parenthood. And in fact, way back even further in Genesis chapter 12, when God reveals himself to Abraham for the first time, he promises Abraham this. He says, I will be your God, and you will be my people, and I will walk with you the rest of your lives, and I will bless you and encourage you and strengthen you, and I will never abandon you. I will never give up on you. I will be right there, and you can trust me. And then he adds this. He says, Abraham and Sarah, I will give you a son, and your son will have a family that becomes so numerous, greater than the stars in the skies. And in speaking to folks who have a Bedouin background, they understood the night sky, and they understood that that was countless millions but it was 24 years from Genesis chapter 12 up to Genesis 18. And in chapter 16, Sarah, somewhat frustrated, somewhat wounded and debilitated, goes to Abraham and says, Abraham, it is pretty clear that God is not going to give us a child. Or at least it's pretty clear he's not going to give us a child in the way one would normally expect. And Sarah was motivated with a deep desire to have children. And if you have been unable to conceive, you will know exactly how that feels. It is a passionate, overwhelming desire. And so she goes to Abraham and says, Abraham, maybe we're not being as creative as we might. Maybe we're not being as imaginative as God wants us to be. Now, Abraham, didn't he promise that he would give us a child? Abraham says, of course. Well, it's just not going to happen. Nature has not given us what God promised. And then she adds, Abraham, we have a servant girl called Hagar. And maybe... The answer to our prayers is right under our own roof. Abraham, maybe God is saying, Abraham, take a second wife, Hagar, 
start a family, and the descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now, what Abraham should have said was, honey, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> he doesn't. In fact, Abraham should have said, honey, one wife is enough for any man. Two, it's not going to work well. And ladies, you know exactly what I mean, because if the situation was reversed and someone came to you and said, try a second husband, you would say, uh-uh, one is enough for any woman. And Abraham sadly displayed apathy, indifference, passivity, compliance, and simply went along with Sarah. And as you can imagine, when Hagar gave birth to Ishmael, the whole relationship turned to dust, and it was a disaster. In fact, Scripture tells us that Hagar began to treat despised Sarah. It was a disaster. Now, there are moments in the life of Abraham and Sarah that are absolutely spectacular moments of uninhibited, courageous, obedient faith. But there's also moments when they live in fear and not by faith. Ever been there? Ever prayed and prayed and God did not answer the way you had hoped in the manner you wanted? And you crossed over from faith to fear. And you tried to tell him how to answer that prayer. And through whom that prayer should be answered. And under what circumstances. And you tried to what? Manipulate and micromanage the entire situation. That's what was going on in Genesis 16 and 17. And God consistently said, Sarah, it's not going to happen. And then a turning point comes. And the turning point comes at the beginning of chapter 18. Well, about nine verses in, in fact. And we read these remarkable words. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the, near the great tree of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent. And that was an ordinary, everyday, routine kind of day. Abraham and Sarah were well advanced in years, more like grandparents, maybe even great-grandparents at that point. Got up, got out about the busyness of the day. Lunchtime arrived. They stepped back inside their tent to get out of the scorching heat of the midday sun. And as they are sitting there going about their lunchtime activities, Abraham looks up and he can see through the door of the tent three men just standing there. Now, he didn't see them in a the distance riding in his direction. He didn't hear them approach. They were just standing there. And the passage is crystal clear. Look at it again. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Now, we may be tempted this morning to think that is absolutely spectacular. 
And you may well say, Richard, what I would give for that kind of experience, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Abraham goes and greets them. He bows down in a symbolic gesture of humility and hospitality. He chats to Sarah to say, let's prepare lunch for the three of them. We'll sit down and have a meal. And while all of that is going on, the temptation for us is to say, wow, wow. And you might be saying, Richard, if I had five minutes, just five minutes, to sit down with God over lunchtime, I would never be the same again. My prayer life would move to a whole new level. I'd be living by faith every day. It would be exciting and exhilarating. I would be telling my family for years to come what it meant to sit down in the presence of God and have a conversation with Him. Richard, can you imagine what that conversation would be like? It would shape you for the rest of your days. You simply wouldn't be the same person again. No wonder it was a special moment for Abraham and Sarah, for goodness sake. It's amazing. Well, allow me to suggest this. And I think it's reasonable to say that if you asked Abraham to swap places with you in the 21st century, Abraham would do it in a heartbeat. Why? I think for this reason. Because we have what Abraham did not have. We have an open Bible. We have the story from Genesis through to Revelation. We have the very Word of God in our hands. We have passages in the Gospel where Jesus Himself teaches us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. We have the miracles and the parables. We have the New Testament epistles. We have God's revealed Word and will when it comes to His redemptive story. And more than that, we live in a post-Pentecost period. In other words, we know firsthand for ourselves the indwelling, transforming power of God's Holy Spirit. And Abraham did not have that. He looked forward with great anticipation. He believed the promises of God that were given. He was a man of remarkable faith, but he was not blessed the way we are. And so when you're tempted to think, I wish I was like Abraham, there are parts of us that do, and rightly so. But Abraham, I think, would argue that he would swap in a heartbeat because we know the reality of an empty cross and an empty tomb. And Abraham could only imagine it. So with all of that being said, what we discover as Genesis 18 continues to unfold, the passage says this. God asks, where is your wife, Sarah? Now why doesn't he simply say, where is your wife? Why does he add the name Sarah? Whenever a child is born, a child is given a name. 
amidst a baptism this morning to be celebrated and delighted and rejoiced in. We had some at 8.30 as well. The name was prominent. The name is prominent. When you go on to Amazon this afternoon or tomorrow to order whatever it is you're ordering, you have to make sure you use a password. They tell you not to use your name. When someone asks you over the phone for your social security number, they're not interested in your name, they're interested in your number. God is not interested in a number. He's interested in your name. Because name means relationship. You are Simon, but you will be, by my grace, you will be Peter. You were Sarai. You will be Sarah. Because with God it's personal. It's intimate. It's an abiding love. It's a love He doesn't take for granted. It's a relationship He wants to grow and develop. Where is your wife Sarah? Because it's about to become incredibly personal. And for 24 years, Sarah had been praying and longing for a child, and it's about to change just like that. And the passage tells us this. And God says, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah is sitting inside the tent, listening. And she laughs. She scoffs. The incredulity just comes out of her. Almost a, <laughs> yeah, right. God says, why did she laugh? And Sarah says, I didn't laugh because she realized she was found out. She did laugh. Was it that the disappointments, the hurts, the pain, the fractured heart, the splintered soul the debilitating wounds of disappointment. Is that what was going on here? Absolutely. But please understand this. For the next nine months, God was just beginning with Sarah. He was shaping her and fashioning her and molding her to become what? Become the mother of countless millions of the descendants of Abraham. Countless millions. And he was strengthening her and enabling her. And those of us with a godly mother give thanks to God every day for exactly that. Those mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers in our lives who taught us how to pray, who modeled faith for us, who got alongside us and picked us up and told us, it's okay. It's okay. I've got you. And Sarah in those early days refused to believe. But God was still at work. And for nine months, Sarah discovered what every generation has discovered since that in order to experience the healing grace of God, you have to give him all the pieces. The doubts, the fears, the uncertainties, the concerns, the worry. Give him all the pieces. No hidden recesses, no areas of limits. 
No areas that he cannot focus on. You surrender everything and every part as he shapes and fashions Sarah so he does it with us today. Now let me wrap all of this up with a story. And I told you this some years back and it relates to Hebrews chapter 11. Because some of you are sitting there saying, okay, Richard, I've enjoyed the story on Genesis and the unfolding narrative of God's redemptive history, but how on earth does any of this relate to Hebrews 11? How does this tie up in any way? And what we discover is this in Hebrews 11, by faith Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, look again, was enabled was refreshed, was renewed, was excited, was given by God that mighty, energizing faith that stirred them on to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made his promise. Look at it again. Abraham, Sarah, considered God faithful. That's one of the characters of God. As part of his nature, part of his character. It's innate to who he is. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will not walk away from you. We heard it in the baptismal vows this morning. That covenant God. Back in 1996, 97, somewhere around there, I conducted my first baptism. And I was thrilled to do so. The couple were Duncan and Fiona McLaughlin. We lived in Inverness at the time. We'd known Duncan and Fiona for about 15 years. We had gone to Bible college with them in the early 80s. And when we moved to Inverness, it was just a delight uh, to renew that friendship with them. They had been married about 15 years, longed for a child, and there was no sign of a baby arriving. And so, over the years, they had prayed and prayed and then decided, well, it probably isn't going to be. And then one morning, Duncan had gone off to work. He was a police officer. Fiona was waiting to go to work that afternoon. She's sitting at her kitchen table doing her daily devotionals, and she was reading from Genesis chapter 18. And she read the passage where God said, we will come back in a year and you will give birth to a son. And Fiona laughed with incredulity. She just laughed. She just dismissed it. She said this. <laughs> yeah, right. Several months later, she started to feel, yeah, there's something not quite right. I think I'm coming down with the flu. Visited the doctor. And she said, yeah, I don't know what it is, but I think I'm coming down with the flu. And he said, I can tell you this, it's not the flu. And she was expecting for the first time in their married life after 15 years, right out of the blue, they decided to keep it very quiet. Then after several weeks, they decided that after the next ultrasound, they would take the ultrasound and share it with Fiona's mom. It was scheduled for a Monday, but on the Friday, their cat 
became sick. And they took the cat to the vet. And guess what the vet did? He took an ultrasound. Cat was fine. They went to visit mom on the Monday. They said, we've got some news. Gave mom the ultrasound. And mom thought it was the ultrasound of the cat. <laughs> so she's looking at it and can't quite work it out. And she holds it up to the light, hoping that would help. And she's looking around. And then the penny finally dropped. He who promised is faithful. I will be your God. I will not walk away. I will not abandon. I will not let you down. And here's the thing. We don't have to work it all out. All we have to do is trust that he already has. In the midst of broken, difficult relationships, is he sufficient and can he be trusted? Yes. In the midst of challenging, difficult, debilitating, deeply wounding circumstances, can he be trusted? Yes. In delayed answers to prayers? Yes. Does it take extraordinary faith? No, it takes faith in an extraordinary God. God, that's what's going on. And in the midst of it all, he's shaping and molding and changing and strengthening you to become the individual he's called you to. This week, as you move into a new week, as you begin to wonder what does he have in store, please remember, you don't have to work it all out but you have to trust he already has. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning. And we thank you that it speaks into our lives. And for this we are most grateful. Enable us, please, to give thanks to you as we seek to follow you this week. Change us, shape us, refine us, that we might be your people. In Jesus' name we pray.